0: Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League podcast. There's a lot going on, so forgive me if we just dive straight in. We've got four games to look ahead to today, five games to go over yesterday. Uh, I'm Matt McGinley, and remember, we're here seven days a week, especially now that Project Restart is in full effect. Every single day, this is the place to come for everything that you need, want and desire that is the Premier League. Uh, There's match reviews, previews, injuries, and occasionally... The odd insult. Uh, it's the first time we've done this in in a while. We've got exactly the same lineup as yesterday, no tinkering whatsoever. Uh, and uh, in centre midfield, we've got Man City reporter for the Athletic, Sam Lee. Hello, hello. And uh, you think you did quite well with your predictions yesterday? Yeah. And uh, we've also got lining up beside him the enforcer and professor, that is Arsenal fan and uh, footballing journalist Fergal Brennan.
1: Hello, hello, how are we?
0: Very good, very good. Right, we'll look at yesterday's games after the break, but let's get straight into it because we've got four games on today. So let's start at the early kickoff, uh, which is around midday today, which is Burnley against Sheffield United. Now, I've been a big fan of Sheffield United this, team, th- this season. Burnley have really struggled, whereas Sheffield United have been at, up at the top. Flirting around with the top five Champions League qualification all season Yet incredibly, now, six games from the end Burnley could leapfrog them uh, with a win here today Um, is, Is that a case of the rails falling off at Sheffield United? Is it a case of Sean Dyche really getting things together at Burnley? Or is that a case of it just being very tight and congested in the middle of the table?
1: I think when you look at... Oh, gone, Sam, you take, no, take no, it away. No, I, I no, no. Lifelong say, Burnley fan. <laughs> well, no,
2: it's, it's just crazy. Burnley have actually got one more win than Sheffield United. If you were to do a 50-50 question, who's got more wins this season? You'd, you'd only say Burnley thinking, is this a trick? Like the, There's nothing really in, in the collective football psyche that would suggest that Burnley have done better than Sheffield United this season. But Sheffield United are harder to beat. They've got more draws, and that. that's the difference. But, yeah, after a few recent results it's it's a, its a lot closer and that just goes to show what, how congested it can be anywhere below fifth I suppose if you haven't got that consistency if you lose a couple of games and another team wins a couple of games it can just turn around so quickly and Sheffield you know, have only lost twice since the restart in terms of the Premier League um, Burnley have put together two wins and, and yeah this is, this is now a quirk of the fixture list one of those games where it can really put that in sharp focus if Burnley win again then like you say they'll be above them and that just goes to show the, the, the consistency you need even in that like, middle group
0: The question is, Fergal, do Burnley want to qualify for Europe again, especially after what seemingly was a really um, I mean, it was great when they qualified a couple of seasons back, but it seemed to do them no favours at all
1: No, I don't think they'll want to obviously Sean Dyche and Burnley supporters are never going to admit to that because nobody wants to say, oh no, we don't want to be higher up the table thank you very much Um but I think when they got into Europe it exposed an issue that they had then that they still have now which is a very, very thin squad. Um, Dyche operates on a fairly strict budget uh, and a very clear plan about how he wants to go about his business on and off the pitch and um, and I just think when you look at the two squads yes Sheffield United don't have the biggest squad either but there is far more flexibility there I look at Sheffield United's kind of 11 to 18 compared to Burnley's and despite the fact they've only been in the Premier League for 9 months it looks better it looks more flexible it looks stronger and potentially better equipped to cope with the demands of European football because Let's not forget, if they finish seventh, their season's going to start very, very quickly after this one ends, um, and it's going to be a long old slog for them, also weighed down by possibly a little bit of second season syndrome. So when you look at these two sides lined up against each other, based on their you know first six months of the season, Sheffield United deserve Europe and Burnley don't, I still think that is the case. Um, and I think that will be the case at the end of the season. I think Burnley, as always, are, are, are going to Burnley. Back to back 1 0 wins uh, in the last two weeks, that's kept them nice and steady. That means any lingering doubts of relegation are probably going to die off. Um, whereas Sheffield United are going to be suffering from a situation whereby expectations have been so inflated that if they dropped out of the European spots, they might be open to a little bit of criticism. That said, which side would you, I mean? Obviously, it's not just between these two. There's a whole
0: host of uh, clubs in contention for it. Sam, out of these two, who would you rather see have a little bit of a European adventure next season?
2: Sheffield United for sure. Um, yeah, Sheffield United for sure. Just just because there's just more tactical variation. There'd be in terms of like the strength of the squad and and that and the demands. It would be very difficult for both of them. But Sheffield United just just to see how they would get on because it was you know curious to see how Chris Wilder's football that. Kind of swept through the championship would get on in the Premier League and they've they've been fantastic. Um, just because they've kind of dropped down a bit recently, shouldn't take away from that. You know, they, they got promoted last year, it's not easy to do what they're doing. And to see how they could do that in Europe would be great. I mean, unfortunately, like I'm not saying I would like to see them in, in the Europa League because it might ruin them in the Premier League, but it, it might do. You know, with, unless they strengthen that squad. Those extra demands are really difficult, but as an, an experiment, effectively, to go from the Championship one season to the Europa League, within two, I would love to see that. And especially because Sheffield United, and not like previous teams who have kind of come up and kept it together and been solid, you know, they're they're actually very, a very good side, very switched on.
0: Uh, they've got similar sort of form records coming into this game, especially when you sort of factor in before the restart
1: as well. But how do we see this one going, folks? Uh, I think. It's so difficult to gauge, obviously, <clears throat> post restart because there's so many variables to balance against. But Sheffield United's away form uh, pre March was actually very, very good. They were going and getting results away from home against teams that they're expected to be kind of scrapping against. They they won away at Everton, uh, they won at Norwich, they won at Brighton. Uh, that's a decent record for for where they are and where they want to be. The issue here is. Burnley are very tight very organised at home I know I'm throwing all the old cliches out but that is the fact Dyche knows exactly what he needs to do every single season which is to get them between 40 and 45 points stay up no real late drama Um, Sheffield United still have something to play for Burnley don't that for me is the deciding factor here Um, and I think unlike other teams that are in around the mid table that would look at Turf Moor away and think oh god I don't really don't really fancy that. Sheffield United have shown that they're not they're not bothered, they're not phased by these things. As Sam said, they've come up through the Championship, they've gone to difficult places away in the Championship and won and won well to get themselves into the top flight. Um, it'll be it will be wrong of me to go against my uh, alleged beloved Sheffield United to, to go for anything other than a Sheffield United win. I think, as I say, that's based on the fact they're still pushing for something. Yes, Burnley can leapfrog them, etc., but. I don't see Burnley powering on even if they were to get a result from today whereas Sheffield United on the back of their win in the uh, the last game do have something to play for and and will still want to get into Europe because based on the first half of the season they deserve it Uh,
0: Something I just want to pick up on that result that they got against Tottenham, Sam Um, I'm not going to get into the VAR controversy but a different type of controversy it was Jose Mourinho looking like a lovely, lovely human being I don't know if you saw this while he was being interviewed, Chris Wilder uh, Jose was making his way back so popped in to say goodbye while Wilder was being interviewed live on camera and it showed a real uh, respect for him as a fellow manager and also a side to Jose that we don't normally get to see um, hmm. Is I, I, Joe say somebody you, you you've had the opportunity to to meet previously?
2: Uh, I, no, I've been in a couple of press conferences. I wouldn't say meet him. I know people who have spent time with him. Um, obviously, it's not as I don't know, kind of as polarized as it as he as he as it comes across in the media. But the thing with Mourinho is he's normally entirely in control of how he does come across, isn't he? And like, like I, I don't think this is fair at all. But inst- instinctively, when you when you mentioned that. And how he came across. Whenever it's Mourinho, you just think it's stage managed. It's like when he came right. in to, into Tottenham, and even before Tottenham, when he was working for Sky, you just think this. You know, this is the charm offensive, but soon it's going to come crashing down. And I think more instructive about how he acted after the game is the way he was having to go to his own players, and like you can't you can't keep referring back to Pochettino. But as far as the situation at Spurs is, the context at Spurs is, those fans still love Pochettino. Um, so you can't be going around doing that. But anyway, um, we're talking about Spurs and Mourinho somehow. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's Mourinho for you. Like he, he can do that, and you know, people these people aren't psychopaths. They're very, they're, you know, they're, they're 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 very nice. But when things go their way, as we saw with Jurgen Klopp on Thursday night, as well, when things don't go their way, you know that that really competitive side comes out of them. So of course they'll go around hugging people and being nice. They're they're normal human beings. But when the chips are down and it's all about the results, then that's when we see. I don't know, true true colours, I suppose. And I'd be the
0: same. I'm not having a go, I'd be the same. I'm a bad loser as well. Uh, So Burnley, uh, Sheffield United is the midday kick-off. Speaking of fans and managers and their relationship, very interesting one that we've seen develop over the course of the season has been up at St. James's Park, where there was not much of in the way of a warm reaction from anybody seemingly uh, when Steve Bruce uh, took control and yet uh, we find them in the situation where they're pushing for at the very least a top 10 finish and he's actually pulling out better results across the season as a whole than Rafael Benitez last season Uh, they had a great one against Bournemouth uh, last time out Um, I think Pretty much everything went right for them in that game, apart from uh, the late goal to Bournemouth. And uh, an even better result for West Ham, who comes to St. James's, uh, them doing possibly their performance of the season against Chelsea. The question I've got about this game is, obviously both teams are up and on a high, but there's different levels of pressure. Uh, the Hammers you know, are still in real trouble. Uh, They need this win. This win would pull them out after um, Watford not doing so well, which we'll come to a little bit later. It would put them, give them some daylight away from the drop zone. Uh, But Newcastle, on the other hand, uh, still this ongoing talk potentially of new ownership coming in. And so there's an element of people, especially Steve Bruce, uh, trying to impress Fergal. Um, Who do you think's... Well, I I think it's it's pretty safe to say that most pressure is on the West Ham, but who do you think is going to perform better with the various pressures that they've got today?
1: Um, I'd plump for Newcastle based on uh, post-lockdown form and, and as you say, the, the different variables that come into play here. I think the difference between the two sides... Uh, since Project Restart has kicked off is that Newcastle's form has looked consistent, consistent. You can see a way of playing, you can see patterns of play, you can see organisation that, that Bruce has worked on. Uh, whereas with West Ham, yes, for as good as for West Ham supporters the win over Chelsea was, it does have all the hallmarks of a token big season results against a rival would they have done that against another big side no the rivalry with Chelsea Chelsea is absolutely loaded um, and it was an enormous result for their fan base anyone who had a little look on Twitter following the game will have seen that, that you know the kind of celebrations um, that for me is the kind of decisive factor in this I don't see an enormous difference between the two teams in terms of players and in terms of where they are and where they want to be obviously West Ham are in still in relegation danger but handful of more positive results this season uh for them and negative results for newcastle would see them way closer um i'm actually just looking at the table here now i am a little bit surprised that there is such a gap but again i I still think so much of that is relative to a lot of things but i think when you look at a game like this for the neutral let's be straight about this probably not the most appealing not the most exciting that you'll be bookmarking to watch um but newcastle have looked better west ham have just looked capable of getting out of relegation that's all they look capable of um Whereas Newcastle have looked capable of maybe, you know, tapping on the back door to Europe um, and pushing on. And as you say, obviously, with the prospective new ownership, Steve Bruce is essentially on trial. Um, he knows that uh, if the ownership is signed off and the money that's being thrown around is, is adhered to, it's unlikely that he'll keep a job. So he needs to do everything he possibly can to at least be in the, the prospective new owner's thoughts. Um, and a strong end to the season is his, is his only hope of keeping his job.
0: One of the players that sort of revolves around, really, from a Newcastle point of view, there's a couple of players that have come in, but the one that seems to be on everybody's lips and the one that certainly eyes are neutral, enjoy watching Newcastle for, is Alan saint Maximum, And there's been talk about potentially him um, being picked up by one of the bigger teams, as they say, towards the end of the season. do you think is it too early to talk about something like that Sam do you think at this stage
2: uh, I don't know instinctively I think yeah because he he is kind of, I know he's pulling it together recently for sure since the since the restart although and this is a very cynical way of looking at everyone who's playing well but before we came back everyone was like well this might favour players who do well in training but don't necessarily play so well on the pitch and now you see so many young players doing well like Foden and Greenwood and Pulisic um, Saka lately you, think, you do think oh maybe that's an issue a bit less pressure from the crowd Ross Barkley as well is somebody who's always trying to prove a point but always kind of fails to make it but he's doing well and you just it, like I say it's just a cynical kind of thing but if you, if you were a bigger club than Newcastle or certainly a more attacking club you'd have to look at do you think you could harness everything he's got into a into your own plans which would presumably be more detailed and more attack focused so in that sense yes because he's kind of leading counter-attacks for Newcastle they don't always do a lot of attacking that is certainly fair to say in a more attacking club there might be more detailed plans he might fit into that better but you'd have to work out whether he could um, kind of produce consistently a bit like the um, Zaha conundrum and the other side mm-hmm. of it is, is it, is it because there's no fans in the stadium? Which is kind of almost impossible to work out. You'd have to do a lot of very in-depth scouting. But I, that's why I'm kind of thinking, I'm not, I'm not so sure, that's why I'm not so sure that he's definitely ready for the step up. But if he were to be signed by, I'm trying to think of an example of an inverted commas, bigger club, Leicester, Everton, thing like that, then, I mean, it would certainly be interesting to see how it go. I'm not sure it would be a, a guaranteed success, but I would certainly like to see it. And I think, it, it it could be it could be
0: Hearing you uh, say it back to me with the inverted commas, I'm already sort of wincing at the potential social media backlash I'm going to get for calling bigger clubs. Um, so apologies yeah. for that. But Well, that's the thing. Newcastle I, are yeah. massive, aren't they? They're like, yeah. they are like a, a big club, but it's like, uh, in terms but, of yeah, I mean, playing it, style, yeah, that, it's, it's and, a fair and, comment. Yeah, and also in terms of, I think, at the moment, and obviously that could change, in terms of what's in the war chest and, and what people can afford uh, to pay out for people. Mm. It's interesting that you mentioned Zaha there as well, because that's the second time I've heard... Um, them both in the same conversation oh really and, uh, yeah and it was from um, I think it was Stephen Warnock talking about it from oh, a defender's <laughs> point of view but talking I'll about it as, as a defender's point of view and he yeah. said the thing is is when you you defend against certain players you know they've got a preferred side that they like to go to so that kind of makes your game slightly easier because you know they're likely to go this side and if they go the other side, they're going to be a bit slower. So you've got more of a chance that way. And he says, but the, he says the thing is, with players like Zaha, um, who are two-footed, and then Saint-Maximin, yeah. Maximan, who is is kind of two-footed, but also he doesn't know what he's going to do. And he says, so if if the player himself doesn't know what he's going to do, that's really difficult. Uh, well, yeah, because you can't prepare for
2: it because you, your coach can tell you when you get him in this position, he always goes this way. But if, if he doesn't know what he's going to do or probably more accurately, to be fair, he always mixes it up, then you have got a problem. But my point is just the consistency. Like, it's I mean, If if Sam Maximum doesn't do anything for a game, nobody takes any notice. But if he goes to Tottenham, for example, You've got to do it every game, otherwise people start to say you knock out for that level, and that's the thing with, with Zaha. I know United was an earlier stage in his career, but that would be the thing for Zaha. He's not even performing every week for anywhere near it for, for Palace, so that's, that's the, where the comparison comes in there, I think.
0: Fergal, is there anybody you'd pick out from West Ham who seems to be having as good a, a restart for them as uh, St Maxima is for Newcastle?
1: Uh Wow. I think the short answer would be no to that. (laughs) Um, I think, again, it comes back to, I think Sam nailed it there, this idea of consistency. When you're playing for a team that's 10 to 15, um, everyone does talk about you when you pull in a big performance against a top four side or a top six side, particularly away from home. But ultimately, in the eyes of the wider Premier League, when your level drops, uh, it's not as noticed. Um, And that's why Zaha, ultimately, I think a lot of, so-called bigger club interest eventually dropped away last summer because they looked at his performances for Palace and went you're not Mm. really a big fish in a small pond you're a slightly bigger medium-sized fish um, and we need big fish here Um, but then they threw that policy in the bin and signed Alex Iwobi so uh, West Ham anyway I'm going completely off track no I know that sounds really harsh Jim if you're listening I (laughs) apologise there isn't And, and the simple reason for that being If West Ham stay up, which I think they will, it will be through organisation at the back, uh, scrapping results here and there. I think the Chelsea result was a bit of an anomaly in terms of scoring three goals and playing so well. I don't see that being a regular thing for them between now and the end of the season. Um, I suppose if I was scrabbling around for names, probably go back to our old favourite, Mikel Antonio. Um, But again, he doesn't seem to be able to hit the kind of form he did probably at the end of 2019 although he did have a great game against Chelsea he did but he's still being moved around the team all the time um, because he is so versatile he can play full back can play wide midfield occasionally Moyes decides him to play him up front for some reason Um, for me his best position is still right midfield he's so quick he's so good on the ball when when the ball gets put in behind a full back and and he's effective at getting crosses in but when we look at Sam Maximin or we look at other players, Zahar at Palace or uh, Richarlison at Everton or, or that kind of creative outlet for those teams in that area of the table, West Ham don't have that. It was Felipe Anderson um, right at the beginning of the season, but he's tailed off significantly. Yarmolenko's yeah, come back in after a bad injury, but again, it comes back to that word consistency. There's there's none of that in West Ham's team. Um, and that's probably why why they are where they are, because... They're not expected to be much higher, but if they had a set maximum who doesn't do it every single week but does it once a month where he wins you a game that's three points thrown on the pile and you move slightly further away from the from the drop zone so yeah I feel like it's a bit of a pile on West Ham here but it is the truth like they they don't have a spark in that team where you'll go oh he looks good I could see him maybe moving on in the summer or him doing a job at Club X Um, they just don't have that but I do still think they've got enough uh, combined in the squad to, to avoid going down but nothing to be really shouting about Right, let's
0: move um, to teams who have been very consistent this season One in a very positive way and one in a not so great way uh, Liverpool, um, they're obviously the newly crowned champions They will be wincing uh, from what could have been an even bigger defeat at Man City uh, Thanks to late VAR and a couple of goal line clearances uh, But they're at home to Aston Villa who are still languishing they're a point off safety Um, that did them a favour yesterday Watford's result Uh, but they're going to Anfield really needing three points any way ever you can see this happening Sam
2: three points Uh, no I think Liverpool will win but it's not like the the reaction to the City game is quite funny because it's like oh well they've won the league now did they switch off or you know were they hung over or whatever but look at their results they've they've not like before the lockdown and since they've not been like especially consistent they've not been the amazing liverpool team that we saw before you know february going back to most of last season like if if you look at the results from the atletico madrid first leg when obviously they had a lot of the ball but atletico won they beat west ham on the monday night and i remember west ham being good in that game and i'm looking not to get more they lost to watford lost to chelsea in the fa cup beat bournemouth and again bournemouth were good in that game Um, lost to Atletico Madrid and then after the lockdown drew with Everton beat Palace fair enough I'm not going to try and denigrate that in any way and then lost to Liverpool so it's sorry lost to City so it's not like oh where where did that defeat come from but City are a really good side and Liverpool haven't actually been that great for a while Um, obviously still the best team in England obviously but on form arguably not um, yeah, I, I, and if you if look I at those results jump, jump in,
0: if you look purely on stats Liverpool only have two wins in four months
2: <laughs> well yeah Well, there was one of those stats yesterday they said on I think it was the United game on BT it was like oh there's something that hasn't happened in five months and there was no hint whatsoever that three of those months were a write off just ridiculous um, f- like you say it's a joke on a podcast that's fine but I say it seriously on BT it's like come on lads but yeah so they beat beaten Bournemouth and they've beaten West Ham and will they beat Villa? Probably. But it's not like... it's. I don't know. It's not like it's going to be 10-0. Or
0: well, maybe it will be, but I well, don't know. Well, let's put that to, to Fergal. You're a bit of a stats man. Is it a simple, simply a question of how many?
1: Um... Potentially, yeah. Uh, As Sam points out, Klopp was in a hell of a bad mood after the City game because, you know, whether the players had been out on the beer or City were just that good or a combination of everything rolled into one. um, I think he was probably annoyed by the reaction of his players. He wasn't expecting it to be a normal Liverpool versus Manchester City clash, but the fact that the tempo from from the away team was so low and City was so keen to say, listen, the minute the last clap is heard from the guard of honour our chasing of you starts. Um and I think he'll he'll rattle that into the players ahead of the game today. Um and I think from Aston Villa's point of view, when I look at the body language and the and the, the comments of the three managers in the bottom three, Dean Smith, Eddie Howe and, and um the Norwich manager's name escapes. Me Daniel Farkin Daniel Farke, thank you, sorry. Um they look beat uh the way they're talking that they've find it so hard to to gather together any sort of positivity how I listened to him after the United game last night um and Smith since the restart when you look at the games the bottom three uh combined their four games after the season's restarted they've got two points out of fifty out of um twelve games that that says everything any sort of chance of this being the ch- opportunity for their their respective seasons to get reignited has has just died away immediately um Villa have obviously looked good in patches but I kind of use a little bit of the same comparison with them as I do with Norwich exciting in certain places obviously Grealish is massively talented and there's, there's other bits and pieces about them that you can like but ultimately too naive not organised enough in defence not forceful not proactive enough in defence in order to just stop the ball going in the net I know that sounds a bit Mike Bassett but it is the truth when we see them in situations that they have to defend and be um, positive in their defending they're just not and coming up against the Liverpool side who yes were completely all at sea against Manchester City but still contain one of the best attacks in European football I think this is going to be a long long afternoon for for Aston Villa and I don't think we're going to get into double figures but I, I think this will be absolutely comfortable for Liverpool and Villa just moving closer and closer to going straight back to the Championship There's going to be a
0: little bit of a fear factor as well, um, understandably, but also because uh, Liverpool have a fully fit squad and Klopp has said that he will field his strongest available side for the remainder of the season and he's not going to give out uh, uh, places on the first team like they were Christmas presents uh, to young players. Uh, Let's move on to another team that are undoubtedly going to field a strong side. Or are they? Uh, Man City travelled to Southampton in the late kickoff at 7 o'clock They just need 7 points, I think, to secure second place uh, for this season And then their focus is going to be on the FA Cup And then that Champions League tournament coming up in August Uh, Sam, you're covering this game tonight Um, Is Pep going into this game thinking about any of that in the future? Is he just going to be focused on the game tonight?
2: Uh, Yeah, focused on that in the sense that after an intense game against Liverpool the other night and they're playing again on Wednesday they've got a big squad they may as well use it I think we've seen that when they played Arsenal that they made eight changes I think it was and they beat Burnley 5-0 and then because they had Chelsea three days after that and then they went back to another team um, and that was to keep them fresh for the Newcastle game so it's all just kind of rolling into one so I wouldn't be surprised if you made quite a few changes and it was a similar kind of team to the one that beat Burnley uh, it'll be a tougher game but yeah I think there'll be changes but at the end of the day City, have got the strongest squad in the league in terms of the depth um, and the options. Uh, so yeah, probably quite a, quite a few quite a few changes. Uh, might be a bit of an opportunity for Southampton, depending on how much they go for it. Um, it should be it should be a, a good game. I, I expect City to win, but uh, not as heavy as their other wins. If you consider um, yeah, the the Arsenal three uh, nil, Burnley five nil, and Liverpool four 0 I know they lost to Chelsea. It might be a bit a bit closer than some of those other wins with that changed squad.
0: Yeah, Southampton um, having a much better season than a lot of us predicted, particularly uh, right back at the beginning of the season when they went 9-0 down uh, to Leicester City. Um, do you see them... They've, they've nothing to really worry about. They're on 40 points. Um, they're, they're not really going to be in a position to challenge for anything at the end of the season. Um, it looks like the board have been proved right in sticking with uh, Ralph Hass and Huttel. Do you think there's enough there for a goal for them to to push on next season and maybe be in a position where they're not just sort of scrapping for staying up but maybe moving towards where we saw them a few years ago when they were on the verge of uh, challenging for Europe?
1: Uh yeah, but it, again it comes down to investment. I think at the moment they look good uh, their first 11 with a handful of options off the bench are Premier League level quality but you go down after that you look at some of their matchday squads since the seasons we started uh, and Huttles having to name quite a few kids on the bench just to fill out the numbers um, and I think in, in the important areas of the pitch if you want to make that step up from lower mid-table to upper mid-table or upper mid-table to Europa League um, that takes a significant amount of investment and, and an ability to bring players into the team and not have your system or your results disrupted too much. Um, I think there is obviously a reliance on Danny Ings but they're, for me they're saved by Danny Ings' quite unique situation because Danny Ings could win the golden boot this season potentially. I don't think he will. I think he'll get edged out but <clears throat> he'll certainly finish high up there but I don't see him leaving I don't see another club that comes in for him I don't see another club where he fits that's not to say he's not good enough to play a bit higher than uh, than uh, Southampton but they've essentially got him locked in He he's from the area he wants to play for Southampton he wants to drive Southampton on um, but it can't just all be about him and and that comes down to, as I say to spending money this summer they need cover at centre back they need another probably another midfielder maybe two midfielders uh, Pierre Horbier had a few injuries this season James Ward Prowse has looked good but he needs someone to help him out um, and then at the back they, they, there's good players but to make that step up as I say there needs to be a bit more quality so it's up to the board this summer are they happy where they are are they confident enough that they can always avoid relegation without too much drama or do they want to roll the dice a bit more and look to see if they can get that carrot of, of seventh place
0: well, uh, Danny Ings is still within reach of the Golden Boot, as you said, but um, it's a little bit further. He's going to have to stretch a little bit more after a certain Jamie Vardy uh, got a double yesterday. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Jamie Vardy and uh, all the results from yesterday as we've just reached half time. Uh, so that's the half time whistle, and we'll be back after this break
2: football social daily get daily news and updates on your team via your amazon alexa just ask alexa open sports social
0: football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode welcome back to the football social daily your go-to source for everything you need that's premier league if you want even more ask your smart speaker device to enable sports social and you can get daily updates on your premier league team my name's ant mcginley i'm joined by fergal brennan hello and uh, sam lee
2: yeah still here hello
0: <laughs> okay, just checking they're still there. And uh, yesterday, uh, in, in a quirk of fate, uh, we, we were exactly the same lineup, slightly different order. And uh, much like Man United, I think I saw the statistic that Man United played the first team, the the same team, for three games in a row for the first time in about 10 years. I, saw, I couldn't believe that statistic. I think it was,
2: was it 14 years or something
0: that? Like wow. 2006 something like that Wow uh, Incredible So we'll look at Manchester United in a moment uh, But let's go through Them one by one Yesterday's games uh, Quick review Norwich uh, Losing out to Brighton Great result for Brighton Who've not been very good Away from home But the image that stuck With me I don't know if you saw this Was at the end of the game Todd Cantwell Who's been a real revelation I think um i mean he's he's just been in a side that's been struggling, um uh, but he was heartbroken devastated, sat on the pitch at the end of the game, and possibly the loneliest man in the u k yesterday because sat alone in the middle of the pitch in an empty stadium um that's somebody that comes across to me like the old school player like a like a real fan um Fergal, do you think that was a sign of somebody who sort of realises now that he'll be moving away from that club?
1: I think, yeah, Uh, when you look at the body language of him and he has been a real positive for them this season he's been Sky Sports, BT Sport, Camera, Dream because he always seems to be kind of captured in a bit of a moment of emotion whether that's positive or negative as it was yesterday when he was sitting in the stands Um, I just think given the fact that he's demonstrated he can perform uh, at a Premier League level, there will be clubs sniffing around, but I think, unlike other players that could potentially be up for sale, he he does have a huge tie to the club, he's from the area, he came through the youth ranks Um, I don't think he'll stay with Norwich for life, but I wouldn't completely dismiss the fact that, as we've seen with other players, they are willing to give it another two years where if they kind of say to the club, listen, if we go down and we bounce back up great if we go down and we don't then you'll let me leave Um, and I think we might see that with with a couple of other players Um, and I think at the moment Norwich Norwich have been planning for this since probably Christmas so I think in terms of the financial impact there will have been uh, manoeuvrings behind the scenes at the club to make sure they're not in absolute financial dire straits so in terms of Campbell, I don't think it would be a case of they have to sell him. I think if if an offer comes in that they can't really turn down, then he'll go. But I don't think this is an open shut case as it is with other players. Um, but I don't see him staying at Norwich beyond uh, probably the end of his contract, which expires in 2022, which would neatly bookend that idea that I said the club could come to some sort of agreement. Listen, you, we go down, you help us get back up. You know, you're a quote-unquote hero. Um, And then we'll let you go for your big move. You're still young enough to go and have a a career somewhere else. Um, So it's a case of wait and see. Uh, It'd be interesting the teams that are linked with him in the summer because he is talented. It it can be maybe difficult to see which system he fits into in in a top six or a top eight side um, because they they tend to be quite well stocked with players of his profile. But he's talented um, and I think he could have a very interesting summer ahead.
0: Uh, Let's look at Brighton now. Um, They've impressed a lot of people, got a lot of fans this year in in terms of the neutrals, in terms of the style of football that they've played. Uh, Potter has been questioned for being maybe a little naive in some of that, but it kind of looks now like they've uh, they've done enough to stay up. Uh, 36 points and uh, thankfully just in time because the next two games... Are against Liverpool and Man City So with the things going on there They, they won't be expecting much from those games um, Sam, do you see what, what do you see Graham Potter doing with Brighton Over, I was going to say over the summer There's not much of it But in terms of preparations for next season um, What could they do What do they need to do with that team
2: Ooh, What do they need to do I suppose keep going I suppose when you go from The previous style to this style it's about as much as anything with a team with those kind of resources not going backwards so they're in a similar position points wise table wise you know relegation fight wise um but they have changed the style so i suppose you could say that's progress if that's what the kind of style you want to get towards um and yeah next season will be about continuing that they've bought well in terms of mopai in particular um trossard's been good as well aaron moy Mm um quite good yesterday a couple of times he dithered on it but I suppose you're going to get that at that end of the table um, I suppose just keep up the recruitment I suppose you want to we mentioned the back line yesterday and the difference maybe between Brighton and Norwich is they've got a, a more reliable back line or one of the differences um, you want to you want to be keeping that together because you'd imagine Dunn could be someone that could um, attract interest from elsewhere Um yeah, you can't keep the band together. Try just try and build on it, basically. There's not going to be too much else, you know. The ideas are in place; they'll be better for uh, a season with those new ideas. Um, and they will certainly be hoping for uh, an improvement in terms of position next year. So, you know, up, up towards tenth—that's what they want to do. But to get there, um, keep getting the recruitment right. But obviously, in in these times, with even less money, there'll be even more of a demand on that. To, to buy well and buy cheaply. Um yeah, they've had some misses as well, but the players that they have got, you know, have 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 done a good job.
0: Yeah. It looks like yeah. looks like they've done enough to stay up. And <clears throat> Leicester, who were struggling um since Project Restart, all seemed to come together for them yesterday. Um, which was just in time as well, because Chelsea really hit in form at the moment so if they want to hold on to that third place and possibly even challenge City for second uh, they need results like this 3-0 against Crystal Palace and Jamie Vardy uh, looks like he's going to go all the way and grab that golden boot it hit the 100 club as well in terms of goals in the Premier League Fergal would you put him I mean obviously statistically that puts him in there but would you put him amongst the, the best strikers we've seen in the Premier
1: League uh, oh that's a difficult one um I think in terms of numbers and in terms of how many goals have been squeezed into such a short amount of time, uh, the numbers do back up that uh, sort of a reputation. Generally speaking, he has been there or thereabouts. The last five seasons, uh, he's got 20 or more in the Premier League. And I think it's easy to forget that because we look at Vardy and we think he doesn't have the profile of other players. He doesn't obviously have the track record of other clubs or playing outside of England or, or playing for another Premier League side. But it's very difficult to not include him in that for me it's difficult to say where he'd rank because there's ranks within ranks there's you know Henri is out on his own but then you'll have other strikers that will be over 100 people like I don't know uh Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank just just to pull one example who's got over 100 goals I think Peter Crouch has got over 100 Premier League goals they're not obviously in the same category as as Henri um where I'd put Vardy in the you know the wider measurement is is difficult to gauge because he does deserve to be there he does I wouldn't have him top five or top 10 um but I think his his record the fact that you know let's not forget he is a Premier League winner um probably going to secure Champions League football this season for a team that if you told us not even five years ago 10 years ago would be in this position we'd have told you absolutely mental um yeah, I think he'd probably be top twenty for me in terms of all-time Premier League goal scorers. His numbers, his numbers are right there. You compare him to anyone else that's had a four, five-season stint in the Premier League, uh, and his numbers are either. Th- a match for them or better Um, so I think he does deserve to be there his profile means that he's never going to be in the top 5 or the top 10 and he he probably doesn't deserve to be there Um, but his numbers definitely should put him in the top 20 and to get 100 goals yesterday we saw him get angry when he missed that chance and he booted the post Um, he still wants it and he's still hungry as well he's still hungry for Leicester to do well Uh, he'll be absolutely raging if they miss out in Champions League because they haven't been able to get it together since the season's restarted um, but he looks hungry for his golden boot um, I think it's the first time he will win it he got beat by Kane the season they won the league um, and he deserves it I think it will be a nice kind of crowning achievement for him given the fact that he's been one of the best strikers in the Premier League for the last five seasons
0: Would you agree with that Sam? One of the best strikers in the Premier League for the last five seasons?
2: Well, certainly for the last five seasons yeah Um if, I was—I was going to say overall. I mean, if you score in 100 goals in the Premier League, then you're automatically in the conversation. I mean, it's interesting. This is another tangent, but Van Nistelrooy got 95 um, for a team like United. Do you think well, would Van Nistelrooy be a better player? Oh, instinctively, I'm thinking yes. But then for Vardy, the whole point, which brings me back to your question, the last five years is he's—he's he's got these 100 goals, and it, but he's not been playing for, you know, one of the teams where you get chances all the time. And obviously, this Leicester team this season has been built around him getting chances. We talked about this on on Saturday, and that's why. Um he had like, while well while Leicester hadn't been doing so well recently. They'd stopped those chances flowing, but last season under Puel you know, they've they've had a few managers where the goals haven't been flowing, the chances haven't been flowing, but he's still he's still done it, he's still got those hundred goals. So you'd have to absolutely say he's been one of the best over the last five years for sure, no doubt about it.
0: At uh, Crystal Palace, uh didn't really do much yesterday really and, and they're in a bit of a no-man's land at the moment however they could still have a lot to say on how the premier league ends uh, both uh, towards the top and the bottom uh, because next week they travel down to aston villa which it, every game's a must win for aston villa right now but the three of the last four games it could really have a massive impact on that champions league place because they play uh chelsea man united and Wolves on the, then on the last day of the season. Not all three of them on the last day of the season. <laughs> that would be even busier. Uh, let's have a look at what happened at Old Trafford yesterday then. Man United 5, Bournemouth 2. Uh, lots and lots all week about Mason Greenwood, about him potentially even being you know ahead of Anthony Martial and also um, Marcus Rashford next season. But rather than look at the their attacking options... I want to pull him back to that that first goal and the fact that De Gea was beaten at his near post again and much was made on social media of what was described as a filthy nutmeg on uh, Harry Maguire. So uh, my question to you, Fergal, is um, they're doing so well up front. It reminds me of another team that plays in red who about 18 months ago just got themselves a great goalkeeper and a centre-back and then that put them in position... A challenge for the title is that all that United are really missing at the moment
1: um, well I don't think any United fans will be thanking you for comparing them to another team that wears red <laughs> that have become become very successful in the last 12 months um, I don't think it's as simple as as just dropping in those jigsaw pieces I think Liverpool uh, prior to signing Alisson and Van Dijk was still a more complete team than United are at the moment um, that being said it, it's a very difficult one to gauge here because De Gea is still a very good goalkeeper I think the, the concern for De Gea is what it means to be a top class goalkeeper and um, he hasn't stopped being an excellent goalkeeper but mentality and mental strength is everything as a goalkeeper being a goalkeeper for me is is almost like being a, a golfer or a snooker player at times where your concentration is absolutely everything you're not involved in the game for so long and then you have to spring into action when you have a little mental lapse or, or something affects your focus or your concentration it can be very very difficult almost impossible particularly at the very top of the game to get that back um, and we've seen it with many many goalkeepers where something has happened and they've never fully recovered in terms of their mentality they've gone on to still be a good goalkeeper but the decision making has been impaired and that for me is the big concern with De Gea um, in terms of Maguire Again, it's a difficult one. Solskjaer's not just going to throw him in the bin after spending £80 million on him. Um, but I do think it's fair to have a conversation about the fact that he isn't the player that he was built up to be before he signed. He is a very good player. He's good aerially. He's a physical presence. He's a good organiser at the back. But as we saw with the goal yesterday where he got megged, the Steven Bergvine goal um, against Tottenham, where he got skinned, he is very static. Very, very, very static Um and whoever United bring in in the summer, or if they try and repurpose Eric Bailly or Victor Lindelof, he needs to have real mobility around him. Because for all of his strengths, if a forward gets him one-on-one in a situation, he's 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 dead in the water. He really is. Um, and that, that's the issue. When you look at someone like him, for all of his strengths, it's about finding the right partner for him. I don't think that he needs to be shipped out or I don't think they need to spend the same amount of money on another centre-back alongside him. It's about highlighting what areas need to be improved because it's all well and good, as you say, goals being scored at the other end of the pitch or Fernandez doing wonders in midfield. If one run from a striker is going to do Harry Maguire every single game, because this will spread like wildfire, if coaches now know isolate Maguire and run him, there's a chance of a goal. And then, if we can defend for the, you know, the rest of the game, we can get a win at Old Trafford. Um, Sosha needs to make sure that Maguire doesn't become a target because his goalkeeper already is, and if he's not careful, Maguire will become one too.
0: So, let's look at that that forward line then. Uh, Mason Greenwood. Um, lots of chat about him today. I mean, there's been a lot going around for a while, but uh, was it so described him as the best finisher he'd ever seen. Um, and when you look at the stats, he's not had that much gameplay until recently, but he's clocking in a goal uh, every 115 minutes that he plays, uh, which compares to Jamie Vardy on for the golden boot, getting one every 123 minutes. And uh, Aguero, who's had all those injuries this season, every 91 minutes. Um, He's frightening, isn't he? Uh, not even nineteen yet. He scored as many goals as uh, as Rashford had around the same age. Um, is he as good as everyone saying he is, Sam?
2: Uh, it certainly looks like it. Uh, like I said earlier on, I'm a, I'm a. I'd like to see when the crowds are back and like there's a bit more pressure or whatever, all those external factors. All, like, all of these young players do the same kind of stuff, but you know, at exactly the same time, he's obviously very good. He's been very highly rated around United for ages same with Foden and City and everyone I mentioned earlier on is um, yeah he certainly looks like he's got it and the, the thing about those goals is it is the finishing isn't it it's the power like the power in the first one in particular and then the second one it was like you got no right to be scoring from there there was no angle he had like three quick little touches and as soon a lot that split second where it like for most players that wouldn't have even opened up but then to 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 have that opportunity to think I can hit this, and then hits it across goal, and if to go top corner, it's it's a goal you don't see very often. It's, it's a very specific type of goal, and it suggests to me that that might be the kind of Mason Greenwood type of goal. You know, people talk about him being properly both footed. He, he might be one of the few players who, who scores goals of that type. Not necessarily better than everyone else, but just kind of unique, and it it's certainly very exciting for um, for United to have a young player coming through like that. And I mean, from now to the end of the season, as long as you know, you've got to guard against fitness issues. And you mentioned United naming the same team three times in a row for the first time in so long. There's a reason that doesn't happen at the top level. You've got to kind of keep everyone um, fresh. Um, United might need a bit of depth going into next season, but you would be wanting Greenwood to be playing very often. Oh, I mean, he's 18, so it is difficult. Um, maybe it'll be too soon for him to play every game. But I mean, certainly between now and the end of the season, you'd, you'd want him dotted in
0: 70% of the games because he's just very exciting does make it exciting for the potential for England in upcoming tournaments as well with these young English players coming through and, and playing so well but that's
2: part of the pressure though isn't it like as soon as soon as they get a couple of games young English players it's always about oh the next tournament it's like it'd be 19 oh, well I guess 19 um, ne- next next time there's a tournament that's just so much pressure and that's why I go back to not wanting him to play in every game while he's 18 just because of burnout and expectation um, I think this should I'd like to think it should be handled a bit more delicately but I mean at the same time it is completely unavoidable Um, and I mean it it could be useful to be thrown on in a tournament but yeah 19 years old coming on when England need a goal say for argument's sake if Sterling and Sancho and Kane haven't managed one it's like Chuck Greenwood on you know that's a lot of expectation but Mm. I mean it it is certainly exciting but yeah I I wish we could just keep England out of it for a bit but yeah there's there are a lot of good English players coming through, and it and it's certainly nice to see them get the chance.
0: So, in that respect, would you say would you sort of stand against the the opinion that seemed to have been that you know uh, Phil Foden needs to be playing more at Man City? Or would you say that um, Pep has handled that particularly well?
2: Well, yeah, my, my opinion all the way through is. Has kind of been to give Guardiola the benefit of the doubt, not least because it's City, look, if you look at the op- the difference between options between United and City, it's it is easier once you're a good youth youth team player to get into the team at United, not just because there's some history, you know, there's a history of blood in youngsters, and it's because some it's some, some uh, something social wants to do, but because there's not the same ahead of you. So Foden was always trying to get into that midfield, and he always had um, like five experienced international players ahead of him. Um so I was always of the opinion that give Guardiola the benefit of the doubt and if he if it ends up that he Foden doesn't break into the team under Guardiola then you can savage Guardiola for having us all on but while, it, while the plan was in place I was always fully in, in favour of going with that the only thing I'd say now is I'm not going to shout from the rooftops Guardiola was right this is this is the best way to do it because look, maybe Foden could have played every game and maybe Foden could have had now 100 Premier League games under his power at the age of 20 and he, he could be in the England squad already and he could be doing what Sancho's doing no, we don't actually know but the route that Guardiola has taken we, we certainly can't say it was wrong um, i never, ever wanted him to go out on loan. Uh, The goal was for him to be a City player in a Guardiola team. You're not going to become a City player in a Guardiola team by going out on loan and playing for anybody else. And now we're seeing that because I was talking before about him slotting into midfield, but now he's slotting into the front three and he wouldn't be learning how to play in the front three of a Guardiola team if he'd gone on loan anywhere else. So yeah, he might have given him a few more minutes under his belt, but in terms of burnout, in terms of expectation, in terms of him learning what he needs to do to thrive in this team I think he's been handled brilliantly
0: well that um, the original team we were talking about was Man United and obviously Greenwood and they're facing Bournemouth today well so they faced Bournemouth yesterday um, Bournemouth just quickly on that I mean statistically there's still a chance but with the fixtures that they've got coming up can't really see a way of them staying up myself
2: no it would be a miracle it was like we were saying yesterday about the the preview to the game uh, it would like, there's nothing to suggest that Bournemouth were going to get a result at United um, obviously for a while it was like oh here yeah. we go this, this is going to be the miracle but no that, this is what they're going to need in the next few games because with their fixtures um, they look they look doomed
0: and the performances too um, so we did pretty well in the f- predictions yesterday The one that I got completely wrong though uh, Was about your team, Fergal uh, Arsenal travelling to Wolves uh, Getting their fourth win in a row After a shaky start um, You called this one, I think? Yeah, yeah Just yeah. out
1: of loyalty, not uh, logic <laughs> I mean, were you were you um, impressed
0: with what you saw on the pitch?
1: I was, Um, and I think, uh, again, so much of that comes from the two factors that have been Arsenal's most positive things in 2020, which has been Mikel Arteta's uh, plan. We haven't had a plan for some time in terms of the way that we want to play. And once again, you know, it's been trotted out quite a few times. Impressive young players, Bukayo Saka, who is... I'm a fully paid-up fan club member, favourite player, uh, even though I'm probably a bit too old for that. Um, Eddie Niketa, again, impressive ploughing through the middle, creating space for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to come in off the left hand side. The concern for me yesterday, and uh, you know, there'll be Arsenal fans who roll their eyes at this, you know, we've won four games in a row our first win away at a side above us in the Premier League since 2015 which is a scary stat to look at. Um, But what I've been concerned about in the last couple of games, when we've been in winning positions with 15-20 minutes to go the players are retreating back and back and back and hanging on and hanging on and hanging on. We got the second goal yesterday with a little bit of magic, really nice touch from Alexandre Lacazette to get away from, I think it was Conor Cody and score. But there's a little bit of a disconcord in the last 20 minutes. Arteta is screaming from the sidelines, telling the players to stick to the plan that they've been doing for the first 65, 70 minutes. And the players, there's still a little bit of mental block there because they know there's been so many mistakes, and they know that they look at the player next to them, particularly if they're standing next to David Luiz at a corner, and they know that they've made mistakes. So there's still a bit of a mental block, and that's gonna be Arteta's biggest challenge to break down. And we saw that again yesterday. They know the firepower that Wolves have got with Jimenez and Treore and Jota, who came on and caused us a few problems. Form-wise, of what I'm seeing, the football that we're playing, I, I'm really impressed. I think it's proactive. Um, I'm delighted, as I say, with the young lads coming in and doing a job and proving that they deserve to be in the first team and, and the first 11. But that mental block still exists, and I can still see it in, ironically, the experienced players because they've seen the mistakes and they've seen the criticism that they've faced for losing games or losing winning positions. Um, but I think Arteta will break through that in the end. Um As for Wolves, I don't think there's any need for any sort of great panic. I think it had all the hallmarks of a bad day at the office. I still think they played very well. Uh, If they'd got a goal and got a point, I don't think it would have been massively unfair, if I'm being very honest. Um, and I don't think they're having this falling off the horse they've been excellent since the season's restarted three wins in a row prior to yesterday Um, I still think they're massively favourite to at least get Europa I still think they're in the Champions League conversation despite losing yesterday and United and Chelsea both winning Um, but for Arsenal good on the pitch impressed with the patterns of play but the mentality issue needs to be improved And, and, and it's the senior players that need to start showing a stronger mentality
0: uh, so as it stands, uh, Arsenal on 49 points in 7th, uh, Wolves 3 points ahead on 52 and 6, and then Manchester United on 5th with 55 points. Uh, ahead, uh, of, well, at the end of play yesterday, uh, Chelsea 2 points ahead of that in 4th, hot on the heels of Leicester City with 57 points. Uh, so we chastised their defence yesterday, and uh, yet they kept a clean sheet and came away with a 3-0 win over Watford now Watford have been done favours by the teams all around them, we've been looking at the form side at the top of the table, Sam let's look at it down the bottom of the table Um, Watford have just scored one point since the restart, even going into the break actually, their form wasn't that great and they are, you know, their one point, that point was precious because it gives them a little bit of breathing room against Aston Villa, but this is relegation form they've got at the minute, isn't it?
2: Uh, yeah, it is. It's a bit like the question we asked yesterday about if if Leicester don't end up in the top three, would it? You know, could Roger still say, "Well, you know, we they wouldn't have been in that position at all if it weren't for me." I'm thinking it's quite similar with with Pearson because when he came in, it was like they were down anyway, and it's, it's almost like how how do you how do you judge his reign because he's he's got them in a position to be out of it, but now if they do get sucked back in, yeah, how how do you judge that? Um, I suppose at the end of the day, it would have to be. They haven't they haven't been good enough, but I suppose they've lost De La Feu, You know, the, as a team like that, you need an attacking spark. If Pereira hasn't played too much recently, I don't think. Um, it's if you're losing those kind of sparks, you you, you are going to struggle. Um, the fixtures they need a lot, don't they, in the next few games because they've got Norwich, which. I mean, it's not huge for Norwich really because they're pretty much down. But they need to win that. They'll need to beat Newcastle. They will need to beat West Ham. Um, or you get a couple of results from there because otherwise, they're really struggling. They got City towards the end, and then they got Arsenal away on the last game of the season. So um, it it does look at the moment like they're going down. But a Pearson team, a Dini team, you'd always oh, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet against some kind of act of defiance and then pulling a couple of results out from somewhere. But the the time is now. Really, and I suppose they're lucky in the sense that Villa don't look like putting too much together either. West Ham currently don't either. And as we said about Bournemouth, they look doomed. So Watford may be alright if they just get the odd result here or there. They might just need one win. But um they're certainly gonna to have to like you say, they've been relying on others so far, but that the time for that is is pretty much up. They need to they need to do a bit themselves.
0: As for Chelsea, uh they're looking strong for that um Champions League spot. Um, also is it, what, what what have they got right there is this the result Fergal do you think it's down to um, the fact that they were forced to look at the youth because of the transfer ban that they had um, is it down to Frank Lampard you know first full season in, as a manager in the Premier League um, is it the way the club's been structured is it just a perfect storm of all these things coming together
1: Uh, Yeah, I think it's right, this idea of it being a combination of factors. I think right from the get-go, we have to be careful not to be anointing Lampard as this messiah, the saviour of Chelsea's youth, because yes, it is right that I don't think there's many managers that would play those players uh, if they didn't have a transfer ban. I think that's just a fact. Um, I think ultimately he'll be judged at the end of the season exactly what he's got out of them. Um, And the players themselves will be judged by meeting the expectations of the Chelsea fans. The supporters are pleased to see players coming through the youth ranks uh, but when you're playing for a top club like Chelsea or Manchester United ultimately you're judged by meeting objectives Chelsea's objective is to get into the Champions League if they miss out on that if United beat them to it or, or Wolves or whoever I think these young players ultimately might come in for a little bit of criticism and then the onus comes onto Lampard to how he defends them uh, I think he will obviously rob in on their side as he's done so far this season. But it's it's been telling since they've restarted the season that he's generally steered for more of the experienced heads. Uh, Willian, who's probably leaving in the summer when his contract expires, has been brilliant for them. Ross Barkley's been important. Olivier Giroud played yesterday and scored. So I think what we're also seeing is Lampard making the right decision at the right time. He's given the young players their head this season, let them establish themselves in the first team. But when it comes to the real business of making sure they get into the top four, he's he's recalling a few of the old boys because he knows they have what it takes and that they've been there before. It's the muscle memory kicking in to to get them into the Champions League spots. Um, I still fancy United to drag them back um, based on when I, when I look at the two teams playing post-lockdown because I think we have to look at that for That's what we have to go on now. We may as well forget about pre-lockdown in terms of the race for the top four because it's, it's so tight at the minute when I watch United play, I see them being able to pull teams to bits. With Chelsea, a lot of the variables need to be going in their favour for them to get a result. We saw that against West Ham in in midweek where when West Ham started to up the ante a little bit and put them under pressure and not let them play out from the back. They struggled. Um, And there'll be teams, more likely the teams they play in the next few games will be looking at that West Ham game of how to play against uh, Chelsea rather than looking at the Watford game and thinking we're doomed. So, I think they'll drop out and I think Lampard's season will ultimately be left slightly tainted Um, but in in terms of the players, they've had a good season but if they want to be Chelsea regulars then they need to start getting into the Champions League
0: Well gentlemen, that's it, thank you very much all the games reviewed from yesterday, all the games previewed for today Sam, you're covering Southampton Man City today, how do you see that one going?
2: Uh, Yeah I think City will win but I think it'll be quite like I said earlier closer than a
0: lot of their wins because I think they'll, they'll move the team around quite a bit And what game are you looking forward to today Fergal?
1: Uh, Probably the first one, Sheffield United, uh, at home to Burnley, uh, simply because I'm going to go and watch it as quickly as I possibly can. Uh, I I can't see Newcastle-West Ham being that exciting. Sheffield United, I want them to justify my prediction more than anything. I'm looking at this from a purely selfish point of view. Uh, Southampton-Man City would be a good game, but I I don't see anything other than Man City getting a win. So for what's on the line, based on the four games today, I'd go for Sheffield United-Burnley. Alright, uh Fergal Brennan, Sam Lee, thank you very
0: much. I've been Ant McGinley, and remember this podcast is out every single day, so remember to subscribe, leave us a nice review, and tell your friends about it. Also, if you want even more, you can ask your Amazon Alexa to open Sports Social and get daily news updates on your team. Thanks very much for listening.
2: Football social daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.